Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This is Little Atoms, a radio show about ideas and culture. With me, Neil Denny. On today's show... Patrick DeWitt, on his latest novel, The Librarianist. Patrick DeWitt is the author of The Sisters Brothers, which won the Governor General's Award and was shortlisted for the Man Booker Prize and the Walter Scott Prize and was adapted for a film starring Jake Gyllenhaal, Joaquin Phoenix and Riz Ahmed. He's also the author of Evolutions, which was a New York Times editor's choice, Under Major Domo Minor, and French Exit, which was adapted for a film starring Michelle Pfeiffer and shortlisted for the Giller Prize. And today we're going to be talking about Patrick's latest book, which is The Librarianist. Patrick, welcome back to Little Atoms. Thank you, Neil. Happy to be back. Tell us, first of all, then, how you would describe this novel. Uh, Well, it's sort of the summation of the life experience of one person who is a librarian professionally. And at the beginning of the book, we see him after he's retired and he's um, making sense of what has and hasn't happened in his life and wondering what comes next now that he doesn't have his vocation to lean on. And this character is Bob Comet. And in your previous novels, you're sort of quite well known for having sort of like quite extravagant characters. And Bob is the very opposite of that, almost to a fault. And I wanted to talk about this decision. Was this a deliberate decision to try to write somebody who is, he's an amazing character, but he's not all that interesting. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I was excited by the idea of writing an unexciting character, I suppose, just in that I haven't really, most, as you say, most of my characters are are fairly outsized and and loud and uh, Bob is much more introspective and inward looking. And that was something that I wanted to address. It's sort of more in keeping with, I suppose, my life experience. And um, it seemed to me that there was room in my work for a character that brings less in an immediate sense, but perhaps, or hopefully there's something there for the reader as you spend time with him and sort of unravel his life experience. So the book is set roughly roughly present day we'll talk about that in a moment as you said bob has retired as a librarian and there are various flashbacks to early periods in his life through the book but the the present day and i'm doing inverted commas in the air there sections are set roughly 2005 2006 so first of all let's talk about why then well a lot of it was mathematics i needed him to be about 11 10 or 11 in uh, 1945 
and I also wanted him to be uh, retirement age or post-retirement age, but still be fairly active. So for him to be in his early 70s, it just sort of added up to being 2005. Also, 2005, it was a little bit, we were a little bit less tied to our devices. That was pleasing to me just to, to have a, a, it didn't have to be sort of requisite handheld devices in every character, you know. So 2005 just made sense. Okay, so if he's not filling his days doing Sudokus on his iPhone, tell us what Bob is doing to fill his days when we first meet him in the novel. Yeah, it's it's a fairly isolated life, but he's not unhappy. Um, he has his reading, which is sort of his life's passion. And he has his his home where he's lived since he was a child and his daily walks and just attending to the, you know, the stations of his life. He has no social life, particularly. Uh, there's no real lasting friendships, but he likes to stand among people and walk through crowds and everything. So he's fascinated by humanity, but he's not particularly involved beyond his reading exercises. And that's sort of how he socializes is with the characters in the books that he reads. And tell us why you made him a librarian. Well, I have an, obviously, as a reader and a, and a writer, I have an admiration and affection for anyone who perpetuates the language arts. So I have uh, had positive experiences throughout my life at libraries, public libraries. I, I think of the times when I was 18, 19, 20, and I'd moved back to Canada, and I knew I wanted to be a novelist, but I didn't really know what that meant. But I knew that you were supposed to read a lot, and I didn't have very much money, and so I spent a lot of time in the library, and I found my authors during these two or three years in Vancouver, British Columbia. So I'm doffing my cap, in a sense, to the librarians and uh, libraries of the world. I think that it continues to be a critical place for people like myself to spend their time. I love that there's this sort of absence of commerce. So you can just go in and grab whatever you want and it doesn't cost you anything other than the time you're going to invest in reading the books or watching the films or whatever it is you're getting from the library. I wanted either a librarian or a, a independent bookseller. Um, and I, I sort of hold these two positions in equal esteem. But I like the idea of the librarian. Ultimately, I just there's something about the character that I could really just imagine him relishing the role of you know, shepherding people towards a reading experience. Um, it yeah, just it seems sense. much more of a job of public service, whereas a, a bookseller, even an antiquarian or second-hand bookseller, is still fundamentally selling something to the public, whereas a librarian right. is much more at the centre of a community. Yeah, I think so. And people do tend to, you know, especially children, you know, you go to your local library weekly or bi-weekly, and, and uh, I think there's something special about that. So the idea I didn't want, I knew that this character of Bob Comet wouldn't have a robust social life, but I didn't want him to be alone to the point of it being detrimental to his happiness. And, and he doesn't think of himself as being a lonely man. And part of this is because he's experienced so much, you know, he's sort of the still center of the library, but so many people come through and he influences their life in some small way. And I know that that's a meaningful dynamic for him. And, um, yeah, I, I, he, he's often or he's being described as sort of a sad man. And I understand why that is the word people are using. But I don't think he would ever describe himself as, as sad or particularly melancholic. His story is not one of triumph or anything like that. But I think that Bob Comet's life, if he were to sort of take stock of it all, it, it definitely makes sense to him. And he doesn't necessarily suffer any colossal regrets, I wouldn't think. So Bob is a librarian. 
he works at a library. Yes. But the title of the book is The Librarianist. And this is a, a coinage that comes from one of Bob's few over the course of his life's friends or an influencer, a librarian at a, at a school he goes to. Um, so what is a librarianist? Well, it's just sort of an arch-invented word. The, the character who coined the phrase is a dissatisfied librarian. And Bob comes to him as a young man and expresses an interest in the vocation. And this individual essentially tries to talk Bob out of it. And he just uses, he's a, like Bob, he's a sort of a language-based person. And um, he uses it to sort of not evil ends, but he's, he's ironic and he's cynical and he's more dark-hearted than Bob is. And he references librarianists and librarianisms. It's just one of his terminologies. But there's a line in the book about how something about the, the syrup slow language of our elders is he's very down on the idea of the vocation and on the idea of language arts and, and that books are on their way out and that it's a waste of time. And librarianism is sort of a fool's errand, essentially, is what he's saying. I struggled for the title to locate the title, which seems to be happening with every book I write. Everything is done but the title. And um, that one came in sort of right at the 11th hour. I just enjoyed the I like when a title resonates only in the reading of the book, you know, like that section in particular will sort of like uh, pique the reader's ear because it, it being the title. It's an interesting, it's interesting to hear that character say, and as you've just said, that, you know, he's worried, he tries to discourage Bob from becoming a librarian because people don't read books anymore. That whole thing, the written word is on its way out. Yeah. Um, and of course, this is, we're talking here, this taking place in what, the late 1940s, 1950s um right. obviously as you said the present day sections of this are set in 2005 2006 before the real advent of of social media and 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 smartphones and that but it's it's interesting hearing the resonance of that argument that is made constantly nowadays about media yeah I, it's something that i've been hearing certainly since i was a reader in my teens that the publishing game is is up and and that it's you know people like to discuss the death of of the printed word I don't know why, but it's something that we keep coming back to. And it's something that keeps being disproved. And I suppose that it will become ever more niche, the idea of reading a book. But it seems actually like the book world is really thriving right now. I don't know. I, I think certainly during the pandemic, a lot of us rediscovered the joy of the object, you know, the object of the book and, and losing ourselves in, in the, the narrative is... Um, the idea that stories will become useless or, or, or uh, obsolete just doesn't make sense emotionally. I think that storytelling is a fundamental part of the human experience. So Bob, at the early stage of the book, finds himself volunteering at a, a senior centre um, for the, um, another great character in the book, the sort of manager, Maria, of that centre. Tell us something about this place and some of the residents. Yeah, it's a senior centre where people, uh, there are some people living there, but generally speaking, it's a place where seniors are dropped off in the morning and then picked up at night. And it's a somewhat down at heel place. And a lot of the people who are, are there are there because they don't have uh, access to full-time care. And um, I helped out before the pandemic at a senior center, which was loosely the inspiration for um, the senior center in the book. Uh, I was invited by a friend of mine who worked at a senior center in my neighborhood to come and read to the men and women of the center once a week. And um, I did it just to do it, because why not? And I, was, I felt lucky to be asked. 
but it wound up having a more profound effect on me emotionally than I'd anticipated. Spending time with the seniors, getting to know certain of them, coming to care for certain of them, discussing or attempting to discuss literature with them in groups was interesting, sometimes frustrating, sometimes really joyful. Anyway, uh, the real world experience uh, bled into the fiction, which is not a non-common thing, but that was the, the origin of the center in the book started out with uh, my own experience pre-pandemic. And did you experience what Bob experiences in his program to, to read the, um, the Russian classics to the inmates <laughs> of this institution? I did not read the, I never, I don't believe I ever read them, the Russians. I did experience, I read The Black Cat from Edgar Allan Poe, and I was asked to stop reading The Black Cat from Edgar Allan Poe because the cat is mutilated and then murdered. And I hadn't pre-read the text. And this was an experience where I realized it, even if I felt I knew the text because I had read that story before. And I remember thinking, you know, you don't want to bring anything too racy to a group of seniors. You're, they're very sophisticated and could handle bad news. But there was a line, you know, and the, I sort of crossed the line without meaning to that day. When on page one of the story, the cat has its eye gouged out with a penknife. And then on page three, the cat is hung from a tree by its neck. And I paused and asked the people I was reading to who all were mortified looks in their faces, should I stop reading the story? And they all said, yes, could you please stop reading the story? So we moved on and we just chatted. I never really could tell what was going to hit with them and what wasn't. Some in the group were readers and some were not. And some were interested, sort of preternaturally interested in, in the idea of what story was this person going to bring us today? And some were, were less interested. And, and, and if a story wasn't connecting, um, it wasn't uncommon for me to stop reading. And then we would just sort of chat about what was going on. If I was, I remember it was after French Exit had come out and I was doing a good bit of traveling and they were always really keen to hear about my travels and what this city was like. And they wanted to know what the food was like. That came up a lot. What's the food like in Ireland? What's the food like in, in Portugal, whatever. And, um, you know, like all people, I mean, they really were keen to hear any sort of gossip. When the film was made of French Exit, that was that was really exciting and they wanted to hear about what was Michelle Pfeiffer like and that sort of stuff. So sometimes we would sit and discuss literature and sometimes we would sort of just devolve to gossip and, and both instances were enjoyable for me. But there was a sense on my part of wanting to keep them entertained. I was there to sort of, to put on some kind of a show and I'm not by nature much of a showman. So it was a challenge for me and it was actually a bit stressful from time to time because the day would come around where I was supposed to read to them and I wouldn't have anything selected or I'd be bringing in something that I knew was maybe a little bit too obscure or arcane or dark or whatever. But that was all part of the experience, the stress that went along with it and then the joy of connecting when I did connect with them. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. 
In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You're listening to Little Atoms. I'm Neil Denny. Today I'm talking to Patrick DeWitt, and we're talking about his new novel, The Librarianist. And Patrick, I just wanted to spend some time talking about Bob's early days working as his. He becomes. He decides he wants to become a librarian. He goes to school for it. He gets a position in a library under uh, another fantastic character called Ms. Ogilvie, who is who I wanted to talk about. So tell us something about his his early days in the library. Yeah, I think that um, he was hoping for maybe a smoother landing or or a more welcoming environment. But he's sort of on day one positioned across from a character named Miss Ogilvy, who is somebody who is sort of the opposite of Bob. This is somebody who doesn't seem to have any interest in literature at all. Um, her position is a position. She sees it as a position of power and she wields the power with a, an amount of brutality. And she has anti-lessons to teach Bob. Bob learns how to behave and how to be the librarian he wants to be, not by following her lead, but by inverting it or subverting it. She's the cliched shushing librarian, but it goes beyond shushing. She has a deep contempt for humanity. And it's played for comedy um, because I think that negativity of that type can often be uh, humorous. Some people work you know i was just in the post office yesterday and there's a woman who works for the post office who seems to really hate not just me but everyone who comes into the post office genuine hatred is the way it reads whether or not that's what she's feeling in her heart i can't say but somebody like that you can take offense or you can pity them or you can find humor in it it's it's always been amusing to me when somebody is in this position that they themselves allow themselves to be in and I think that negativity for some people is is a it's like a vigorous feeling or almost like exercise. You know, hatred is something that gets the heart pumping. And there does seem to be a certain stripe of person who enjoys the feeling of hostility. And Ms. Ogilvy is one of these types of people. And a couple of people come into the library that come into Bob's life, um, characters who I'd like to talk about to the extent that we can, because I'm obviously not keen to give away too much about what happens in the novel. Um, but the first of these is Connie and her father. Um, so tell us about who they are when we first meet them. Well, Bob at this point has had almost no experience in the realm of romance. And I think he would probably 
have anticipated that there would just be very little or none in his life. It's not something that he's pining for particularly. I just think he thinks of himself as one who will live alone. And then in comes Connie one day, uh, and Connie has her father in tow. And the father is a sort of semi-demented street preacher. I don't really know how to phrase it. He's somebody who believes very strongly in his ideas, but the ideas are almost all corrupted or off in some way. And he's the sort of man who uh, berates people on a bus, for example. But it's all according to um, Connie's father thinks of this as his vocation or his work, as he's sort of righting the wrongs of the the world and the world is a very coarse place and that he is going to represent God in a way that he feels is needed. And again, this is a person who thinks of perhaps contempt or hatred as, as, a, as a vigorous exercise. Unsurprisingly, there's a sort of Godzilla meets Mothra moment where Miss Ogilvy and Connie's father clash. These are sort of two monsters of the same stripe, I suppose. Anyway, behind the father is Connie, who is quite quiet and demure and, and unknowable, it seems, to Bob. And the father sort of forces her to, to walk behind him and makes her wear a cape and, and, and cover up her face, and she wears no makeup. And he can't even really necessarily tell that it's a woman until one day she takes her hood off and looks Bob in the face and begins to speak with him. And this is Bob's first and only experience with romantic love in his life. Uh, he comes to marry Connie. And again, we should be wary of spoilers, but um, his one foray into love goes as well as it can go until it goes as badly as it can go. And the other person I wanted to talk about is his his only real friend and somebody who is a very unlikely friend because he's completely the opposite of Bob. This is Ethan. Tell us a little bit about Ethan. Ethan, in my mind, is sort of a post-beatnik character um, in that he's quite wild and, and uh, a sort of dashing pirate-like figure. He's, he's, he's very handsome and uh, he exploits his charm and, and wit and handsomeness to its fullest extent. And typically this is somebody who has lots of uh, romantic encounters. And as you say, he's just sort of the opposite of Bob. And, and their attraction is, I think Bob finds Ethan sociologically fascinating, that a man can live this sort of like life, which is so so completely um, removed from his own experience. And I think that Ethan sees in Bob somebody to admire or um, a standard to aspire to. Ethan wants to be a reader. He wants to be more serious. He thinks of himself as somewhat frivolous because he he is ultimately, and he sees in Bob sort of a staid or sturdy citizen. So their interest in one another leads to a deep feeling of of love and and, and camaraderie. And uh, again, it goes well until it doesn't. But um, these two characters of Connie and Ethan are young Bob's you know, sort of lone experiences with, okay, this is what it feels like to have a social life. You know, I have a best friend and I have a partner, a romantic partner. And um, for a time, I, I, I suppose when things are going well between these three, that would represent the, the happiest time in Bob's life. And yeah, they all, the three of them are all friends together. And We've talked about Bob and throughout the book, we see Bob as somebody who, I mean, you said you, said you wouldn't necessarily describe him as, as, as sad, but he's certainly lonely, even if he has you know, experienced that. And somebody who has always, all through his life, struggled to have relationships. But actually, we, obviously, we only see the sort of burgeoning friendship between Connie and Ethan through Bob's own eyes, because the focus of the book is through Bob. Um, but what we see here is a really sort of debilitating jealousy within Bob as well, 
which yeah. suggests that he's not really that cut out for relationships anyway. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, it's a sort of um, Bob's relationship to agency is sort of one of the underlying themes of the book. Um, he's often quite passive. Sometimes, you know, in our own lives, you're, you behave passively because it's you're, you're having a moment of weakness or something's too intimidating to address. But sometimes you don't really have a choice. You know, sometimes life happens to you. And I think that that's what happens here with Bob and with Ethan and Connie is that something just happens between the three of them that none of them can really alter. It's something that's just sort of a certainty to occur. And that's Bob's lot in life is a, is a, a, I think of him as being somebody who, whose passivity is party to his undoing during this particular chapter of the book, but also just generally he's in the same way he reads the novels that he loves so much. He sort of reads his own life. He watches his own life. And um, the characters all around Bob throughout the book are fairly outsized and I think much more sort of traditional characters per my aesthetic and, 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 and according to my earlier works. And Bob is sort of the still center of the story of his life and he just sort of watches it go by. I wanted to ask how else you saw this book in relation to your previous novels, if at all. Yeah, I'm figuring it out, Neil. Honestly, it's um, when I look at my the list of the books, I, I, I s- sometimes see them as as being one thing and sometimes less so they seem to be unique um, documents of particular periods of my life. I think of this book as being today. Anyway, I, I think of this book as being uh, a symptom of the feelings I had during the pandemic and post pandemic. I think that it was a complicated time for the world. And I think that the complications that arose during that phase seeped into the book. So I think some of my books could have been written sort of any old time and some of them could have only been written like ablutions, for example. It was best that it was written while I was still working in a bar. And with this book, I think of it as being a document of the time. I think of it as being more traditional, you know, more sort of like a normal, I'm doing air quotes, novel. It's certainly less fantastical than my earlier works. There's the whole idea that I subvert genre, and I suppose that's been true, but I don't think it's true with this book. I don't know. I, I, I think that when you write a book, I, one hopes that there's some um, shift has occurred or, or something like growth. And I definitely feel like this is a book I couldn't have written earlier. So I hope that means something positive about you want as an artist, you want there to be some sort of a change. And I think that this book does feel different than the others. So it's an exciting thing to me, whether or not it's a patently good thing. I, I, I can't quite say yet. I'm still sort of figuring out what the book means to me. But it's chats like these that enable me to understand the work um, and then you sort of put it to bed in your mind but it takes some time to really know what the book means so to finish it off can i get you to read us a bit sure yeah i'll just start at the start and you tell me when to stop okay 2005 the morning of the day bob comet first came to the gamble reed senior center he awoke in his mint colored house in portland oregon in a state of disappointment at the fact of a dream interrupted He had again been dreaming of the Hotel Elba, a long-gone coastal location he'd visited at 11 years of age in the middle 1940s. Bob was not known for his recall, and it was an ongoing curiosity to him that he could maintain so vivid a sense of place after so many years had passed. More surprising still was the emotion that accompanied the visuals. This dream always flooded his brain with a chemical announcing the onset of profound romantic love though he'd not known that experience during his time at the hotel. He lay in his bed now, 
lingering over the feeling of love as it ebbed away from him. Bob sat up and held his head at a tilt and looked at nothing. He was a retired librarian, 71 years of age and not unhappy. His health was sound and he spent his days reading, cooking, eating, tidying, and walking. The walks were often miles long and he set out with no destination in mind, choosing his routes improvisationally and according to any potentially promising sound or visual taking place down any potentially promising street. Once he'd witnessed an apartment fire downtown. The hook and ladder brigade had saved a baby from an uppermost window and the crowd on the sidewalk had cheered and cried. And this was highly exciting for Bob. Another time in the Southeast Quadrant, he'd watched a deranged man determinedly ripping out the flower beds in front of a veterinarian's clinic while dogs looked on from the windows, craning their necks and barking their sense of offense. Most days there was not so much to report or look upon, but it was always good to be in motion and good to be out among the population, even if you only rarely interacted with any one person. He had no friends, per se. His phone did not ring, and he had no family, and if there was a knock on the door, it was a solicitor. But this absence didn't bother Bob, and he felt no craving for company. He had long given up on the notion of knowing anyone or of being known. He communicated with the world partly by walking through it, but mainly by reading about it. Bob had read novels exclusively and dedicatedly from childhood and through to the present. So I've been talking to Patrick DeWitt. We've been talking about his latest novel, The Librarianist, which is out in the UK now from Bloomsbury. Patrick, thank you so much for taking the time to share it with me. Thank you, Neil. It's nice to talk with you again. This episode of Little Atoms was produced, presented and edited by me, Neil Denny. Little Atoms is hosted by ACAST and published by 89up. The show is broadcast on Mondays and Saturdays on Resonance 104.4 FM. Thanks for listening.